going back to like having a single mother, we just did it. Like there was nobody to like lean on. There was nobody to like cry to. Like I didn't see my mom cry throughout my childhood. And I think a lot of that comes from like survival. Destiny and I met in 2018 in California. We were both working as mentors for a service year program at a high school in Eastside, San Jose. When I think of her, I recall riding shotgun in her purple car, windows rolled down, on our way to get boba tea or Korean barbecue, jamming to Justin Timberlake, LMA, and a surprising amount of country music. Welcome to Misfits, a podcast where I, Annie Prafke, talk to people who felt like black sheep in their communities because of their identity. Today, Destiny and I get real about growing up in multiracial homes, thinking about motherhood, and navigating relationships. But first, there are a few other things you need to know about Destiny. She identifies as a queer, mixed-race, Black woman. For the first six years of her life, Destiny was raised by her mother, who is white. Her mom married when Destiny was eight. Destiny says she didn't speak to her biological father until she was a teenager, but now they have a good relationship. Until Destiny was four years old, she and her mom lived in California, Idaho, and Oregon before settling in Loveland, Colorado, a town of under 80,000 people. Her first impressions of Loveland? So when I first moved to Loveland, I remember thinking, like, where am I? <laughs> like... Where am I? I'm in a place literally that's called Love Land. Destiny says she never really fit in in Loveland. The town is overwhelmingly white, about 94%, and according to Destiny, predominantly Christian. She stuck out as a black woman whose mom was raised Jewish and maintained a spiritual but not religious home. All of her neighbors were over 65. Destiny says she felt like the little girl from the movie Chocolat. You know, the one with Johnny Depp and Juliette Binoche, where a free-spirited mother and daughter move into a conservative French village and open a candy store, much to the confusion of the townspeople. Me and my mom just kind of, like, floated in with our, like, red coats and... She's like a young mom. Like she, what, if I was four years old, my mom had to be only 20, 22. My mom was 22 with a four-year-old. She's a very young parent. She has a black daughter. We weren't going to church. So like all of her friends at the time were like church going folks, right? My mom wanted nothing to do with the church. Like she was like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. Growing up, Destiny recalls a lot of implicit racism, like people staring at her or wanting to touch her hair. She also remembers moments of explicit racism. 
me acknowledging that I was black first came in like middle school because a kid walked by me and like called me a nigger right out in the hallway. And I had to like really question like what that even meant or like what that meant. Overall, Destiny says talking about race or racism was very taboo in Loveland. There just wasn't a lot of conversation like at all. If someone were to bring up that I was black, like the room would kind of get silent. That should be all you need to know to keep up for now. So we're recording. (laughs) One thing we can talk about, this is something that I've thought about recently, especially, so as I put out this Mm -hmm. call for people to be on my podcast for Misfits, a lot of biracial people have reached out Mm -hmm. to me, like a lot. And also Mm -hmm. a lot of adoptees. And I've always felt as an adoptee, who is uh, Asian and adopted by a white family, but I can Mm -hmm. relate very strongly with biracial people because even though I don't have like the phenotype of two different races, I still have the experience of like having multiple races in my home, multiple cultures, having like a white parent. And, And so I think there's just a lot of connection there. Yeah. And so I find it interesting that that's the, the crowd that's been mostly reaching out to me about this. And I wonder too, if it's like, oh, you're looking for people who have a similar identity. Yeah. Well, that makes total sense. Like you also understand what it is to live between cultures, right? Live within identities of like an Asian culture, but then also very much be present in a white culture. Something that I was also reflecting on, like growing up in a predominantly white white town is just like my knowledge of like white culture. And I don't know if you ever think about this, but I know how to perform white culture, right? So like I know how to code switch. There's certain like cultural, cultural capital that I know of, right? Like maybe like how to set like a dinner table for like a party. I know how to like language and just performance like there's certain things that I know how to perform within white culture but then also how to perform within black culture yeah that's that's interesting I guess as a Chinese adoptee who was raised by a white mom I can't really code switch between an Asian household and like a white household because I wouldn't know any of the things to say or like the etiquette in an Asian household so I guess that's more of a, a difference as an adoptee. The Asian side is kind of like cut off for me. Yeah. Well, can I ask you, how have you like made sense of your, of coming into like your identity as an Asian woman, as um, an adoptee? Like how, what has the journey been like for you coming into your identity? Yeah. I mean, from you describing your childhood, a lot of that was very relatable to me. Um, I was definitely aware of my difference quite young because it was just a very obvious physically, like I definitely do not look at all white passing. I look very Asian and people pointed it out because my, my mom is white and my sister is also Asian. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't think I was really trying to like identify strongly or be proud of my Asian identity or my Chinese identity until much later in life, just because I wanted to fit in and I didn't want to be different. Some of it too, 
as someone who was adopted, some of it makes like, even today, I feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes trying to explore things that are Chinese because it almost feels appropriative uh, because I did Mm -hmm. grow up in a white culture, like with a white family. So like, if I were to try to, I don't know, wear traditional Chinese clothing or do Chinese cooking, like it, it doesn't quite feel authentic to me. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually reading about something. Don't quote me here, but, uh, I was reading something. It was specifically about biracial identity, but it sounds like what you're talking about is almost this like imposter syndrome that we might feel as like those who, again, like phenotypically, um, are perceived like one way and have cultural roots to like, a certain part of the world, but we grew up in another community. There's also like in a, there's, there's an imposter syndrome there, or like there's an imposter, an imposter feeling of like, like, am I faking this? Am I performing this? Which I think is very similar to the biracial identity. So I also wanted to acknowledge that and in a way like normalize it. Right. Cause I hear, I hear about it a lot. Not only like I read about it, but other biracial like people that I've talked to or friends that I've talked to um, have also like just felt caught in the middle of like, well, if I don't acknowledge like my identity, then I'm pushing it away. But if I do acknowledge it, then I'm appropriating it or I'm being dishonest to like how I grew up. Right. Or, or also some of it is perception too. Like, I feel like I don't want to try to perform Asian culture or what have you, and then have people just blatantly call me out. Like, that's not how you do it. Or I think about that a lot with, again, cooking as an example, because that is one thing I'm interested in exploring is like Chinese cooking. But I do have this fear if I were to like put stuff out or like, you know, share recipes I've created or whatever, that people would be like, that's not at all how it's done. Because I don't, I didn't have someone like teaching me. I don't have generational knowledge of, I didn't grow up eating that kind of food. Uh, And so I think that's a hard space too, even if I am interested in exploring. Yeah. And what is, um, what does belonging mean to you And like, or maybe a more specific question is like, are there folks in your life that you feel like you have, um, felt feelings of belonging with? Yeah. Wow. It's a deep question. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's a very deep. <laughs> <I know. laughs> feel free to only answer what you feel comfortable. With. No, it's okay. And after I'd actually, I'd like to hear who in your life that you feel a sense of belonging. Ooh, we actually didn't touch on that. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. One thing you had said that did kind of resonate with me is that a lot of people in your life that you feel a sense of belonging with don't necessarily share the maybe most obvious identity markers. Mm-hmm. I almost think that's something that is almost a misconception when I talk about it, because when I was growing up, I had really good friends. I was close with my family. Like I had a good experience. It was a good childhood, but it was that I wish that I did have people in my life that I could share certain aspects of my identity with and share experiences I had that nobody else around me could identify with or relate to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I I feel like I do now have communities, like I'm part of some Facebook groups that are for specifically Chinese adoptees or Asian, like people who are Asian and in the creative fields. 
Um, I've reached out to other friends I know who are Asian American, Asian adoptees that I can talk to, but it's not like those people are my closest people. They're my crowd that I go to to talk about personal things. Uh, I'd say it's still, you know, like my family, uh, my partner, just uh, other friends I have from college. Really, honestly, my closest friends are not Asian. Uh, they're not adoptees. Uh, yeah, they honestly, most of them don't share very, very many similar identity markers. Except my sister. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about her. Yeah, and I think that's so interesting, too. Um, yeah, just like what belonging means to all of us. Because I think that's, to me, that's what it's really about, right? Like, we all want to feel community and feel like we belong. And I know for me, like, I feel like I have found community with white people and also, like, with Black people. Like, I'm going to say monoracial, like, white people and monoracial Black people. And I think it's just now... I'm 25, almost 26, that I feel like I've actually built a really like good community of also like biracial people. That's a very like intimate relationship that I have with most of them. And it's like, it's almost like a knowledge that we both share that not everyone has, right? Or this like feeling of like exclusion or this feeling of being othered. But again, we don't necessarily sh like share the same ethnicities, right? Like, it's not like it's all like black and white identifying individuals. It's people like from all over the world or all over the globe who just, yeah, share the experience of feeling othered, which I think brings gifts, but also um, brings a lot of like heavy emotions to like for you to lift throughout your life. Destiny now lives in Berkeley, but up until recently, she was living in Oakland, a city in Northern California that is much more racially diverse than Loveland, Colorado. Although gentrification has contributed to a major decline in the Black population, about a quarter of Oakland's population does identify as Black alone, and a quarter as Hispanic or Latino. I asked Destiny what it was like moving from an area with few people of color to living in a predominantly Black and Hispanic neighborhood in Oakland. Yeah, it was definitely a culture shock for me because, again, yeah, I had grown up in all white spaces. And specifically when it came to my identity, you know, I phenotypically show up as a black woman, right? And um, in white spaces, we don't really discuss the nuances of the black identity, right? It's just like, oh, you look black, so you are black, right? When I moved to Oakland, though, Specifically, I lived in like a predominantly uh, black neighborhood. You know, nuances of black identity are like more discussed, right? So, you know, folks could tell that I was mixed or like folks could tell that I was biracial and I am biracial, right? But up until then, I had only identified as black because that was my sense of like who I was. So when I moved to Oakland, it almost was like a restructure of my identity because I was like you know, full stop, wait, like, <laughs> I thought I was, you know, I thought I was black, which I am. But now I'm like, oh, like, you know, people like know that I'm biracial. I, I find too, 
when you say the word kind of like biracial or when you talk about it, people assume it's like half black, half white. I have heard from some people who messaged me that it's like, well, that's not the category I fit into and there's no spaces for me to talk about it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like our, our idea too, that like biraciality, uh, is always something mixed with white, right? Like even how we think about biraciality is still centering whiteness. I know I've had conversations too with folks about, um, you know, they might identify as Filipina and black or Latina and black. I've noticed that how, like, when we think of biracial identity, it, it also, like, still focuses whiteness. And we assume that, like, we assume that whiteness is a part of it. We don't understand or, like, can't conceptualize, like, a relationship not centered around or love, really. Like, when it comes down to it, love that's not, like, centered or rooted in whiteness. So, yeah, I've heard some folks, like, talk about that, too. Yeah, kind of related. So, how people think of like love not always being centered around whiteness. I feel like there's, I mean, there, there is sort of a, a status that people of color have when they're dating someone who's white. Mm-hmm. It's like seen as desirable, like, oh, you're going to have beautiful children. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I even know people of color who like specifically like only date white men. Uh, or even if they don't say it, they only date white men. <laughs> and I think... Yeah, honestly, when I was growing up, too, I always assumed I'd be with a white man. Like, even if I was attracted to other people, I didn't really think about, like, that working out. Because I was like, no, it's almost like a status thing. It's like, I don't want to, like, end up being, like, seeing as, like, lower than I already am on the racial rung, which is terrible. Yeah. No, I think, like, it's, I mean, real talk, I feel like it's, like, ingrained white supremacy, in a lot of us because honestly a lot of the times I also see myself with the white man and like I <laughs> like I and I think I've told some of my friends that before and they were like what they were like do you know who you are and they were like do you know like like what do you mean you see yourself with a white man and it's not because like you know, there's anything necessarily wrong with dating white men. I don't think that's inherently wrong. I honestly think it's like our ideas of like romance in the United States always ends with like two white people. So if like we're the person of color on that end, we assume that like a fairy tale ending happens with like a white person. And I think that's even something I've had to challenge within myself is saying like, logistically, like your track record of dating lately has been specifically with women of color, right? Like that's a lot of my community. Those are the people I'm around. Like those are the people I'm just attracted to, like spiritually, emotionally. Why do I keep thinking that I'm going to end up with like a white man when like sexually, that's not even what I'm attracted to. But I think it is, like, ingrained preference towards, like, romance that ends with the fairy tale of, like, the white people kissing and, like, riding off and, like, to a sunset, you know? So that's something I've also, like, needed to work on challenging within myself is, like, what does romance mean for me? 
you know, what is my story? Like, how am I drawing my story like from scratch and not just like doing what society says that you need to do? And on the other hand, kind of like you said, and again, not to generalize, but I guess my like weirder experiences with men have been like white men who have like Asian fetishes very clearly. Mm -hmm. Like they've made just explicit comments about just like the first question they ask is like, what are you? Or Mm, just like Mm -hmm. weird Mm -hmm. questions, you know what I mean? Where you can kind of sense it. Um, And I also got the sense in my hometown that white men were not attracted to me because maybe in my head and from my dating track record in uh, middle school and high school, it, uh, it really seemed like the kind of women that were desirable by white men were tall, blonde, like, you know, kind of the Britney Spears look. I guess. Yeah. I also am a child. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? That, that was the type that was desirable. Those were the girls who always had boyfriends and the people who I would say tended to be more attracted to me were black men, other Asian men, other men of color. Yeah. Which is interesting. And so that's something I thought about a lot when I was younger. I was like, well, I guess I won't end up with a white man. I won't have the fairy tale ending. But at the same time, like I didn't like I, I wanted to be with a white yeah. man because I was like, I wanna elevate my status. I wanna Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just I want that fairy tale ending, I guess. Gosh, that's so real. Like how fucked up is that to our country, right? Or just to our culture. Like but I think that's so I bet you that's really common. Like I'm saying for myself, like, I think that's like really common, you know? And like the, the question of like, what are you? Like you brought that up. I actually get that more from people of color than I think I do from white identifying people, which I think is also something to talk about is like microaggressions that come. Like, I think a lot of the times that we assume, like, of course, from systemic oppression, uh, we assume that microaggressions and just like racial harm always comes from people who identify as white. But I also think there's a conversation around what interpersonal harm looks like from other people of color. Right. So I think I get a lot of those questions. Like, what are you? Or like, I'll get the question, especially if people know I'm mixed, they'll be like, who's like, who's black and who's white? Like they'll specifically ask me that question. And I'm always like, what are you trying to get? I'm confused what you're trying to make sense of. Like, like how are you trying to frame me in your own mind in the way that you want to know, like which one of my parents is black and like which one of my parents is white. And I've told them, sometimes I've told them before, um, like my mom is white, my dad is black and people like seem uninterested after that. So that is something that I have experienced. Yeah. I think that's a good observation because a lot of the, where are you from? What are you? I, it is often a lot of people of color. Uh, and one, I think there is kind of a a difference sometimes I see. So on the one hand, there are definitely people of color who have internalized racism as well and have prejudices about people who are of a different race Mm -hmm. or ethnicity than them. I, I definitely get that. But I've also 
had people of color who I think are just asking me that because they want to find a point of um, connection and a point of identifying. So for example, I, I just remember this one moment very clearly, but I was walking downtown in Fargo um, and there are often a lot of Native American people who are downtown and unfortunately a lot of them are experiencing houselessness. Right. Uh, and one man who seemed to fit that demographic came up to me and the first question he asked me was like, where are you from? Are you Chinese? What are you? Uh, and so I, I told him that I was Chinese and he kind of kept pressing about my background. But then after that, he said, well, like I'm Native American, like we're the same, like we're both like people of color, we're both mm, outsiders mm -hmm, in this community. Mm -hmm. And so it really changed kind of like the tone I had towards him and kind of the feel of the conversation, know, knowing that he seemed to just want to like have someone else to talk to about these things. Right. Which is also like, that is meaningful, you know, to me, like, or just the, the element of safety, like the element of safety. And then, um, the element of like how safe, how unsafe you need to feel to like almost, um, I guess like seek some type of home in someone who like looks like you or doesn't even look like you, but like you know, has experienced some type of historical trauma and like historical oppression, you know, which I do think is like also present, you know, and meaningful. Destiny and I were both raised at some point by single mothers. While Destiny's mom did later marry and her stepdad played an important part in her childhood, Destiny says it was her mom who shaped her outlook on life. For the first, whatever, like six years of my life, it was just me and my mom, which I think those six years like very much form like who you are. And um, I think my mom's like mindset was very much like a single mother mindset. Again, like my mom is very much like a matriarch, like what I say goes like, this is my child. So like, I'm going to tell her like, what's up? You know, when I was younger, I think I really did want to like fit in, but I think this is something my mom, I think, taught me and just through growing up is that, you know, what am I fitting into this made up box of like uh, things that will make our country feel comfortable? Like how boring, <laughs> like how boring it would be to fit in. Like, why would you want to fit in? Why would you want to fit within a box that like someone else made for you who doesn't even know you like? How boring and like suffocating that would be to live a life where you fit in. I don't want to be so cliche to say like stand out, but it's more of just like be authentically who you are. You know, it's not a stand out. It's just like live in your truth. That's kind of my take on like all of my identities and like how they've built me and how they've made me into the person that I am is just learning to like stand alone. Like learning to stand alone, learning to be the person that I am um, authentically, which is I'm still in working at. It's not like I woke up this morning and was like, yes, like I'm a finished project, you know, but it's kind of like a daily grounding of, yeah, what can my identities teach me? What can I like provide to the world? How can I learn from like the oppression that is uh, currently taking place 
has historically taken place? How can I use the privilege that I have and like stand in that duality? And just always be ready to like re-examine myself. And you know, my identity today is like a mixed black queer woman, but shit, it could change tomorrow. <laughs> like I'll still be a mixed black queer woman, but like I could also recreate myself and like maybe instead of mixed, I'll, I'll identify as biracial. I don't know. It's up to me. <laughs> But yeah, I want to hear more. How is that for you? Like, how do you feel that um, having a single mother has impacted your life today? Well, similar to you, it was just me and my mom until I was six. And then my sister came along. Um, mm -hmm. But I guess uh, my mom never married. And so she was single through my whole, my, my whole life. She was also very much just like a strong, independent woman, which was very clearly instilled in me. Uh, mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, she made decisions. If something wasn't working, she figured out how to do it. One, one thing I kind of found as I was getting older and it kind of bothered me sometimes was that there were like no men in my life, like mm -hmm. no male role models, no men really. And so that wasn't even like, I didn't have a lot of like male friends. Like I didn't connect well, I guess with like male teachers or like coaches. And it was just like, uh, like I didn't almost know how, how to interact with older men I felt like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh and uh, most of my friends had fathers that they were close to and like that were like very loving and they were part of their family mm -hmm. and I always kind of like craved that <laughs> not yeah. a stereotypical like daddy issue thing but I really did like want a father figure and I found yeah. myself like kind of looking for one honestly yeah. um, in like high school and college uh, but then the other piece of it too was, uh, my mom didn't date when I was growing up, but we also like, didn't really have a lot of conversations about dating, about sex, about relationships. And then I didn't mm -hmm. have really like examples of relationships, uh, in my immediate family. So my mm -hmm. mom wasn't in a relationship. My sister was younger than me. And then my grandma, uh, her husband had died before I was born. And so I guess I think I just had kind of a warped uh, idea of what relationships were too. Like I'd yeah. go over to a friend's house and I'd see the parents arguing and I was like, oh, they're going to get a divorce. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not working out. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. I like, um, I super resonate with like your experience where like you're saying you didn't know how to like interact with men. Cause so I think I was the same. But I think I also like had this resentment towards men, which honestly today I'm still like trying to figure out because I just like, I don't, I don't remember a time when like I have really liked a man. And I honestly think it is like uh, generational because my mom has talked about like how my grandmother very much like distrusted men. My mom very much like it's married to a man, but like very is like it's just very distrustful of men and like I just have always had the experience where I do not want to be like when I was younger I did not want to be around men I did not want a father figure like my stepdad came into my life and I thought the same I thought they were going to get a divorce until I was 16 probably no probably until like <laughs> I'm not gonna say <laughs> Yeah, and be careful. Had, yeah, and I've I've had these conversations with my stepdad. My stepdad knows, like him and I had a very rocky relationship. I mean, 
for years. Like him and I just like, I used to like do shit to like piss him off. Like I would eat all of his Doritos or like I'd eat all of his chips. just to piss him off great revenge yeah I remember doing it like when I was six like I knew that like I don't know I just resented the fact that my mom like I felt like he was taking something away from me like I felt like he was taking away my mom from me and um I also had a similar experience where like every time they would fight I would think that they were like breaking up Or like, I thought we were, I did not, I didn't, again, he knows this. Like we've had conversations about it. He knows, I didn't think their relationship would last long. Like every time that they would get in a fight, I would be like, okay, whoop, time to go. Like, (laughs) let's wrap this shit up. Like, (laughs) let's wrap this up. Like I'm at the car, let's go. You know, (laughs) I swear, like until I was like in my adult years, probably. I think I, I was lucky to be able to see a relationship between my mom and my stepdad. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, not having maybe a relationship with my biological dad and like a man, I don't know if that would have changed things. I honestly don't. Um, cause I have a good relationship with my biological dad now and I trust him, but you know, I never had like the stereotypical, like I don't want to say stereotypical. It just, I didn't have like the super like close, like relationship with my biological dad, which I don't know if that would have impacted like how I interact with men today. Destiny and I also discuss relationships. If you don't mind sharing, I know that you're in a relationship now how do you feel as though, <laughs> how, do you already know what I'm going to ask? How, how, um, like how has being in a, uh, relationship now with a man, um, how has that been like based on your experience without, with an absence of men or even knowing like what relationship looks like? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> good question. Um, I mean, honestly, it's just been a lot of learning. So I guess to be very honest and frank, so I didn't date until late. So the partner that I'm with, and we've been together for like three and a half years or something is the first person that I dated seriously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And so a lot of it is just like learning how to be in a relationship, because I was bad at it at the beginning, like I didn't know how to communicate um, all the just really like cliche things that people tell you that you have to Mm -hmm. uh again be communicative that you have to express your feelings you have to show affection just like totally didn't understand how to do that and the other thing too is so my family is not it's not that they're not affectionate but they're not touchy we don't have like a lot of verbal affirmations uh we don't give hugs like when I see my family, like they're going to come visit me for Thanksgiving. I'll bet you we don't hug each other. Nobody's going to say I love you. <laughs> uh, it was only recently uh, that my yeah. mom and I started saying like, I love you on the phone. Aww, yeah. and, and honestly, like it's because I kept pushing it. Like it just didn't happen before. And, you know, like from what my mom says, I'm not trying to put on her. Like, I, I don't think I was the most affectionate kid. I like kind of pushed her away a lot. Also, when my sister came into my life, kind of like with your stepdad, I was like, oh, someone's like taking my mom away from me. And 
I didn't like sharing that affection and I kind of still don't like I get this like weird jealousy when my mom hangs out with my sister or does something for my sister and I'm not involved. This so was a lot of it too, because my partner really appreciates uh, more outward signs of affection. So with touch and with uh, saying, I love you and saying affectionate things. And like, that was a major issue in a relationship at the beginning is, is like, you don't seem like you even like, like me, <laughs> like you don't show, you don't show it. You don't ever do anything that like indicates your affection. Uh, and you don't communicate. And so it's something I've had to work on very actively. Now I live with my partner is the other thing, right? And so yeah. I noticed that a lot of times the typical uh, just like roles that happen in a heterosexual relationship have happened without intentions. Like I think we're both very progressive socially and like pretty like open with having more gender fluid norms and roles yeah, and things uh -huh. but it's like okay who is the financial one in the house it's Hassan he, like he mm -hmm. does our financials he is what's keeping us financially afloat right now yeah. um, he does like the majority of the vast majority of like the cooking and the cleaning like it's me uh, hmm. when we have like guests who like prepares the house for that uh, who decorates like that's me uh and it's not that he's not like open to like helping and doing things, but it's just like not like ingrained in him. It's just like not mm -hmm. like I'd have to remind him to like do those things. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I and, and some of it is I, I think like my identity as a woman, some of it's because like in my household, like we just did everything. Like I don't sit around right. and like, wait for stuff to happen around the house. Like if right. broken, like I fix yeah. it. If something's dirty, like I clean it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of these things, like, like to your point about, uh, I think you were saying when you first like got into your relationship, like you didn't know how, right. Which I think like part of it is like, oh, like being, I think it's like really normal. And I think like part of it is like, oh, you know, haven't had a relationship before, but I also think a lot of it is like, um, going back to like having a single mother, and like what you were saying about like, we just did, did it. Like there was nobody to like lean on. There was nobody to like cry to. Like, I didn't see my mom cry throughout my childhood. Like she's more open to showing her, her emotions now, but we talk about it all the time. I didn't see my mother cry probably until I was a teenager. And I think a lot of that comes from like survival. Like she's like, I don't, I didn't have time to cry. Like I didn't have time to like <laughs> break down. Like I, or not even break down, just like express myself via like emotion. Right. Besides. Yeah. I just didn't have like space to like not get shit done, you know? And then I think there's a layer of like being a woman of color. There's an element of like, nobody's going to get something done for you. Like the type of work ethic that has to go into like getting to where you want to be the type of walls that I feel like you have to like put up. I think it's partially like survival. Right. And I think we're taught, um, a lot of the times as women of color, how to survive, like in the work world. Right. So we're like, these are the barriers I need to put up. I need to not show my emotion. I need to like not be emotionally expressive. I need to not communicate. Like I need to like, again, like assimilate to forms of professionalism under whiteness. Right. 
But then we get into relationships and like relationships, you need a whole different like set of skills. Like you need to like know how to communicate. You know, your partner might ask for like different forms of intimacy. I feel like because we like have these walls up of like, I'm surviving, I'm surviving. Like I need to get through college. I need to like get to like what I need to get to. And then we get into a relationship and somebody's like, I need intimacy from you. You're just like, what? <laughs> That's not important. <laughs> You're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Or like, oh, you need to depend. Even just like you need to depend on somebody else. Like it That's feels a big good. One. Right. Like in a relationship, it feels good to another person when you're able to like depend on them or like trust them. But like, I feel like because of survival, we're so used to like depending on ourselves that it's like pulling teeth, learning like, oh, this is like a safe space for me to depend on somebody. Yeah, no, that's definitely something I've noticed in this relationship too, where it's like, I mean, again, I'll just be real. The big one right mm-hmm. now is financial. Like, Hassan, well, he's always made a lot more money than me because he works in tech. Uh, mm-hmm. And right now he's starting his own business. Uh, so he's we're kind of in the same place in some ways where we're kind of just like trying something and not making a lot of money right now. But at the same time, he has enough money in his bank account to last us the year. And yeah. he can do like a short little gig for someone and make like thousands of dollars in a couple of hours, you know, Dang. whereas mm-hmm. like my part-time jobs are like working at a yoga studio and like cleaning where I'm making mm-hmm. like, minimum wage. Yeah. I am financially dependent on him. Like if we were to break up, I wouldn't be able to live here anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's a conversation I've had like over and over because I did want to do something creative. I wanted to start a podcast and try something else because I wasn't happy with the full-time nine to five job that I had. Right. And he's been very encouraging of that, but I feel like he doesn't sometimes see like how scary that is for me to do that and to be dependent where he's like, Oh, it's fine. Just, I've got the money. Like you'll be fine. (laughs) Just do it. Yeah. Yeah, And it's like, it's just like, no, like that's terrifying to me because like every, honestly, every day I think about like, okay, if we break up, like what am I going to do? Like I have to go back home, I guess. And like move in with my mom. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in a relationship, so I can't, I don't, re- like, I, <laughs> I don't know the experience, but I know that probably, I would be scared too. I would be scared and, too. Yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. lucky, like, I'm not trying to complain. Like, I'm obviously right. very yeah. fortunate to be where I'm at, but it is, it's a, it's a difference in how we understand the world that we yeah. talk about in a relationship a lot. Yeah. I, as a woman of color, I feel like have had just some trouble, like, finding like I guess mates that's what I'm gonna call them mates (laughs) (laughs) I had a lot of trouble like finding mates because um you know I don't know it could be for a lot of reasons but I think part of it is because like I am so comfortable being by myself like really by myself like financially by myself I'm comfortable being like physically, like going on trips by myself, doing whatever I want to do, like without asking like anyone's opinion or, and I also am like, trust, I'm also more comfortable, like only trusting myself and like not bringing someone else into the picture where I would have to like stretch myself in a way of like, oh, you would need to like trust someone else or like open up about vulnerable things or 
work, even work through conflict, you know, which I think was impacted by growing up and yeah, seeing my mom as like a single mom and just, yeah, me wanting to almost like replicate that in a way, but also exploring how like, maybe that is also harmful to myself to like be in so much aloneness or not have like a reflection from like a romantic partner, I guess I want to say. Destiny's relationship with her mom has impacted how she thinks about motherhood. But those views have also changed as she's gotten older. Eight months ago, before I got my dog, my puppy, (laughs) I was like, for sure I would be like, like a single mom. Because like me and my mother's relationship was great. Me and my mom were like, y'all can't see me. It's like, we were like peanut butter and jelly, like two peas in a pod. So like when I think about that time with my mom, it was like the best time of my life. Like me and my mom driving around from state to state. Like, of course she was going through a lot, but I was just sitting in the back seat, like having the time of my life. Right. <laughs> like me and my mom, like that's all I needed for like such a long time. Right. So, you know, before I was thinking like, you know, if it came down to it, I would be okay with being like a single mom or, you know, it's interesting. I think when I was dating men, I always saw the relationship as like, even if I did have a baby with a man, I feel like I would like, like the baby would be mine. <laughs> like <laughs> the baby would like, we had the baby together, but the baby's ultimately mine. <laughs> right. But then I actually like, it's when I started um, having relationships with women that I was like, oh no, like that's not going to fly. Or like, that's not, or even like, that's just not going to work. Like, that's not what I want for my life. Like I want a partner that's reciprocal and that's present and, um, someone I can trust. And that actually didn't come until I was, uh, until I started like having, uh, more romantic relationships with women that I could actually see myself like with a partner instead of just like a sperm donor. Um, and I even, you know, had thoughts around like, Oh, would I be like a single parent? Um, and I think I was like, yeah, of course, of course I would be. And, you know, I think like if it came down to it, I would, but honestly having a puppy (laughs) and I want to say on the record I know a puppy is not the same as like a human being but when I tell you uh this puppy has shown me so much about myself and um it's like parenting lights right (laughs) yeah yeah and being a single puppy parent light has been a lot of work it's a lot of work (laughs) And I feel like those of you who have like quarantine puppies know like what I'm talking about. It's a lot of work. And so I think after having this puppy, I'm like, I could not, like, I could not be the only one that's like waking up in the middle of the night. And like, I commend those. Now I see it from my mom's perspective. Like I, Ooh, like women are superheroes. They are like, whether they're in relationships, whether, um, 
single, like they're superheroes because I don't know if I could do it. Like waking up in the middle of the night, getting all the meals, picking up poop. I, I, and I also think of it in the perspective of like what I would want, like attention wise, right? Like I think of like attachment style and how like attachment style is formed. So I think of that even in terms of like my puppy, right? Like sometimes she needs attention and I'm like working (laughs) or like sometimes she needs attention and I'm like doing something else. And I'm like, Ooh, it'd be great if there was like another person here to like balance out the attention giving, but there's not, there's just me. So like, I think even in that way, it has me really thinking about like children and kids and like how I would want to raise a kid. And like, yeah. So for me, I think it would be healthier to be in a partnership. I'm going to ask you the question too, what you think, how you feel about um, kids. Yeah, I guess kind of like you talked about, my mom didn't really like show a lot of emotion or vulnerability when we were, my sister and I were young. And I think that was out of survival. Like she didn't have time to do that. And she can't look like she's breaking down with like two kids. Right. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until I got older that she started I guess, expressing more like when there were financial difficulties or when she was like really stressed at work or overwhelmed uh, or just like uh, a lot of the emotional burdens of like being the one to take care of my grandma and like my sister and I, and you know, like she had to do everything because she doesn't have any siblings either. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she had to take care of her mom for a a big chunk of her life. I sort of realized like how difficult it was. Mm -hmm. And as I reflect on memories of my childhood like there were a lot of times where when my sister was really young she'd be like crying like the whole night and like I'd just go back to bed and be sleeping and my mom was just like she seemed really like stressed and overwhelmed and yeah I remember like the few times that she was like crabby or like not in a good mood I'd be like so mean to her and I'd be like why do you have such an attitude or you know whatever and it's like Mm -hmm. well she's just having a bad day because Mm -hmm. she had a ton of work to raise two kids Mm -hmm. by yourself Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And so honestly, like since I've been probably a teenager, I have known that I don't really want to be a single parent. And again, if it came down to it, like I, like I I would do it if if I had to, but I don't think I would necessarily choose to do that because I see how much work it is and I commend my mom for it. That's amazing. But personally, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could do that. Um, and And honestly, up until fairly recently, I really had no interest in having children. And it's, I guess, as we start to approach 30, maybe think about it more as just like, okay, well, I guess, you know, maybe maybe someday and not anytime soon. But when I think about myself, like with children, I always picture like a partner being there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful. Moral of the story, women are superheroes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Mothers are awesome. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Destiny. Uh, Yeah. It was a good conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Misfits. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow Misfits on Instagram at acxp.misfits.